0: We will begin our new series, God Willing, in October. Andy is preaching next Sunday. And as we are still in this period of national mourning, uh, we will consider an appropriate verse this morning. Indeed, it was a verse that I last preached on 25 years ago when Princess Diana died suddenly so turn to ecclesiastes chapter 7 ecclesiastes chapter 7 and i want us to consider the second verse in ecclesiastes chapter 7 words written by another king king solomon but writing under divine inspiration so this is the very word of God. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men and the living will take it to hearts. The house of mourning... That obviously includes a funeral service, as many will be joining the Queen's funeral tomorrow. The House of Feasting, an obvious example of that is a wedding, and we've been blessed with a number of those recently. And what is astounding here, is that not only Solomon, the wisest of kings, but God himself in his word tells us, and it doesn't seem to make sense, does it, at first, it's better for us to go to a funeral than to a wedding. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment. Let's open this up a bit more. I want you to imagine... This world is a valley. It's a valley. And we were born and we're traveling through. And we're not going to be here forever. This valley is going to come to an end. And it's going to end in the valley of the shadow of death. On both sides of the valleys are mountains. On one mountain... There is a beautiful palace, and that's the house of feasting. And as we travel through this world, we hopefully often go to that palace. On the right-hand side of the valley is another building. This is not beautiful. It looks pretty depressing. That's the house of mourning. We may not want to go there, but just as much as traveling through this world means that we occasionally visit the house of feasting, we also at times have to go to the house of mourning. And what God is telling us is that it's better, even if we don't like it, to go to the house of mourning. Than the house of feasting. Now then let's just look at this. What is good for us? What is good for us? When I was young. I did not like eating vegetables. Right? And my mum would tell me. Or command me. To eat my greens. Because it was good for me. I didn't particularly enjoy them, but I knew that it was good for me. Now, I think this is what Solomon is telling us this morning about the house of mourning. Now, let me start by saying Solomon does not refer to going to the house of feasting as necessarily wrong. We must be careful that we don't become imbalanced as we travel through the valley of this world. In a right sense, the most balanced people, and isn't this the happy mean, the way to happiness, is that we avoid the extremes of ecstasy on the one hand and of dejection on the other. Very, very rare to find people who have that perfect balance Uh, Even in the Bible, some of the godliest people like King David the Psalmist would go from one extreme to the other. And most of us are somewhere in between. But there is nothing wrong in attending the house of feasting. Now, the Bible does condemn certain things. It condemns, for example, drunkenness. So, to give an example, when I was in university and I became a Christian, I made a stand. I would not go to the pub uh, with my non-Christian friends because they didn't go to the pub just to have one drink. They didn't go to the pub to have a meal. They went to the pub to have what we called in Welsh a sesh. And that meant one thing, getting completely plastered. And so, going to the house of feasting doesn't mean going to places where we shouldn't go. Now, there is nothing wrong with going to the pub if it's for something else. But that's an example of something that the Bible condemns. But we must be careful, especially those of us who profess to be Christians, that we don't give the impression that it's wrong to enjoy life. All good gifts come from heaven above Bruce Springsteen said it ain't no sin to be glad that you're alive and sometimes as believers dare I say we give the impression that we're not glad aren't you glad to be living in this world aren't you glad for the sunshine that was shining yesterday (laughs) aren't you glad for the holidays you've been able to enjoy? Aren't you glad for the things that God has given to us to make life easier, sports and music and all sorts of other things? There is nothing wrong with going to the house of feasting. There is nothing wrong with a wedding reception. There is nothing wrong with enjoying ourselves. We are still human when we're Christians. A little later in this chapter, Solomon goes on to warn, do not be overly righteous. It's unnatural. So, how is it that it's better to go to the house of mourning? Think of Jesus Christ, the perfect human being. God became a man 2,000 years ago. What was one of the first places we read of that Jesus went to when he started his ministry? It was a house of feasting. It was the wedding reception at Cana where he turned water into wine. So it was a wedding reception where wine was being drunk. it could be argued that many of the places where Jesus was invited to were the homes of not the respectable. He did go to the home of religious leaders, but mostly he went to the homes of the disreputable, the tax collectors and the sinners. So Jesus Christ, God himself, He went to houses of feasting. Uh, He was accused, wasn't he, by his enemies of being a wine bibber. Now, that wouldn't have happened unless Jesus Christ went to the homes of those who were not religious. We must say at the same time that we don't read of Jesus Christ laughing. We're told that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but Jesus wasn't unnatural. Jesus was a real man. So what does Solomon mean when he says it's better to go to the house of mourning? There's nothing wrong per se with the house of feasting. By the house of mourning, it's not better in and of itself. It's better because of the effect it has upon us. I'm going to state the obvious now. (laughs) But as Samuel Johnson said, our greatest need is to be reminded of things we're already familiar with. Two words... I want you to listen carefully. Two words. Everybody dies. Did you get that? Everybody dies. The last enemy, which is what the Bible refers uh, to death as often, will visit... Every one of us at one point, unless Jesus Christ comes back before. No one is immune to the visit of the Grim Reaper. Not even the Queen in her palace. Maybe this is you. I really thought the Queen was going to be with us forever. Did you think that? I really thought that she would go on being queen forever. But in the end, she had to die. And she was 96, which is a good age. So, the house of feasting, there's nothing wrong with it. But it has a tendency to make us forget about our problems. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need that sometimes, don't we? we? We need to escape. But the house of mourning tends to have the opposite effect because we are face to face with the last enemy. And isn't it interesting that funerals are tending today to avoid that emphasis. In the past, funerals made you aware that we're all heading For an eternity. That note is sadly going in modern funerals. But really the house of mourning is a place that's healthy for us. Even if we don't like it. Like eating greens. Because we're being reminded of our latter end. There's a hymn. I don't think I've ever sung it. But I've often quoted these words. There is an hour when I must part with all I hold most dear. And life with its best hopes will then as nothingness appear. There is an hour when I must sink. Don't we tend to think that death is something that's going to happen to someone else? As I'm getting older, I'm of that age now where there are more years behind me an hour ahead of me but I'm still not thinking that I'm going to die it's always somebody else that's in the obituaries not me and when you get to an age and many of you here are probably of that age when the obituaries contain people who are younger than you it should really make you think so there is an hour I don't know when It could be tomorrow. It could be in a decade's time when I must sink beneath the stroke of death and yield to him who gave it first my struggling, vital breath. Do you know why you're breathing this morning? Every breath you take has been given to you by God, the creator. And one day, we will breathe our last. There is an hour when i must look on one eternity standing before an ocean have you ever been to uh, white sands bay on st david's head when we have boys camp we sometimes go to white sands bay what you're looking at isn't cardigan bay that's further up what you're looking at is the atlantic ocean But even the Atlantic Ocean has an end. But one day when we die, we will have to stand on the brink of eternity and it has no beginning and it has no end. And the most important question we can ask ourselves is this. Do I know where my eternal destiny is going to be? There is an hour when I must look on one eternity and there are only two options Nameless woe, the Bible calls that hell, and hell is forever. Or blissful life, that's heaven. My endless portion be, and there's no crossing between hell and heaven. There's no communication. There's no purgatory. When we leave this world behind, that's it. Now, it's my responsibility as a preacher of the gospel to warn you about hell on the one hand and to urge you to know that you have the hope of heaven. So that's quite obvious, isn't it? It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. It's so simple, for that is the end of all men that's it in in many ways it doesn't matter what our views are maybe you've come here this morning and you don't believe that there is an eternal soul you don't believe that there is life after death you certainly will say that you don't believe in hell so you will say to me pastor you're free to have your view but that's not my view well I understand But I'm not here to propagate my view. I'm not here to tell you what the view of this church is. I'm here to open the word of God. And this is what God says. And you know what? None of us have got to the other side of death to see what's there. Only one person has. And he was the one who warned most about hell and spoke most gloriously about heaven, Jesus Christ. And there's something else I want to say. Solomon says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Do you know what that means? I believe everybody has a sense of eternity, even if they don't agree with it, or even if they don't like it. you may not believe in God. But did you see some of those sunsets over the summer? Isn't there something in you that says there's more to life than this? I don't know about you, but when I listen to a piece of music, it just sends a shiver down my spine. eternity eternity and isn't that what happens when death visits even when a head of state dies especially one like our queen who had been so long on the throne and it's an end of an era it just shakes us up doesn't it we're just aware that we're not here for long that there is something more Now then, what is the outcome? I'm not here to argue with any of you. I'm not here to persuade you. I can't do that. What does God have to say? Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. What have we to do? And the living will take it to hearts. What do we have to do? He doesn't just say, take it to your head. Now, I'm hoping that you're all with me as I'm explaining this verse, that you are understanding what God is saying. That's good. That's good. But God doesn't want his truth just to be in your head. Isn't that part of our problem as sound evangelical Christians? We're content just to be taught. God wants the truth to sink into our hearts. God wants you to lay this to your heart this morning, that I'm going to die, and that the most important question for me is, am I ready? Am I ready to leave this world behind? Am I ready to face eternity? Have I got a hope, not just a hope that sees me through the problems of this world, but have I got a hope that takes me across death and into eternity itself? Have you got that hope this morning, Somebody agrees with me. Isn't it wonderful to have a lively hope of where we're going? Isn't it grand to be a Christian this morning? To know that we're just traveling through this world, this veil of tears as it is often, and that we are going home? Isn't it great? To have a person, it's not a religion, this, it's a living person, Jesus Christ, who has dealt with the last enemy and to have a relationship with him. Isn't that awesome? But before that happens, you've got to be convicted. It can happen in the sermon. Suddenly you're aware that you are going to die. You're not ready to die. You're not right with God. You're a sinner. It can happen during the singing of the hymns. It can happen during the announcements. There was a man called Howell. And it was Palm Sunday, a few hundred years ago. And the person doing the announcement was announcing communion the next Sunday. And he added the words, the person doing the announcement. If you are not fit to come to the Lord's table, think of the communion that we're going to have in a few moments. If you're not ready to come to the Lord's table, you are not fit to come to church and you are not fit to live and you are not fit to die. And Howell Harris, his name was, was bowled over by that announcement. And he was convicted and he realised, I need to be saved. He laid it to heart. He laid it to heart. Are our hearts tender? Are we laying to hearts this? When I visited Bethlehem, have, have you been to Bethlehem? It's it's not a nice place, Bethlehem. Jerusalem is much nicer. But if you go to the place uh, where Jesus was born, apparently, you will also see there Jerome's study. Jerome was the man who translated the Bible into Latin, the Vulgate. And apparently, Jerome, on his study desk, kept a skull. Now, I don't do that. I don't think you would do that. Do you know why he kept a skull on his desk? To remind himself that he was going to die one day. He was taking it to heart. Now, that's not being morbid, is it? It's just being real. Are we taking it to heart that one day we will leave this world behind and that we need to be saved for? eternity let me wind down how can that happen oh we consider our latter end isn't that what we had in our reading uh, that psalm. Uh, what did the psalmist say teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom are we wise? solomon was We consider our latter end. We begin to ask ourselves the big questions. I've got a soul. I need it to be delivered from death and hell and sin. But then we don't just stop at that We consider something and this is not in the verse so i'm taking it further i'm taking it to the new testament we consider what we're going to be remembering shortly in the communion we consider this wonderful person jesus christ and he's the death defeater praise god jesus christ god became a man two thousand years ago born that man no more may die born to raise the sons of earth Born to give them second birth, as the carol says. And he came into this veil of tears. He lived amongst us. He lived a real life. He did not sin, though. He knew what it was to lose a parent. He knew what it was to grieve at the graveside of a friend. He knew what it was to weep. But praised be to God, he didn't just weep over death. He did something about it, something that you and I can never do because Jesus Christ went to a cross, and this is what we'll be reminded of in the Lord's Supper, and on that cross, it was nothing less than the death of death in the death of Jesus Christ. That's what Howell Harris eventually saw. He wasn't converted on Easter Sunday. He was converted eventually on Whit Sunday, and it was during the communion. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody here ...was saved during the communion. And he said this... ...at the table... ...Christ bleeding on the cross... ...was kept before my eyes constantly... ...and strength was given me to believe... ...that I was receiving pardon... ...on account of that blood. I lost my burden... ...and I went home leaping for joy... ...and I said to a neighbour who was sad... ...why are you sad? I know my sins have been forgiven... O blessed day, would that I might remember it gratefully forevermore. O happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my Saviour and my God. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. We've all broken it. We're all condemned sinners. Sin must be punished. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus Christ took the sting so that we could be forgiven. Wonderful. No wonder Wesley went around preaching this gospel and he said, Oh, let me commend you, my saviour. This is why we've got leaflets there at the front. They're not advertising our church. They're there to tell people about a man, a wonderful man, the God man who can save from death. Well, I've got to come to a finish here. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? For God so loved the world that he gave this gift of his only begotten son that whoever believes, whether you're the queen, or whether you're somebody in Sunday school, whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Jesus said, and here is a man who has been over the river of death and who has conquered death. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He says. Do you? Do I? I realise I can't save myself. I realise I'm not ready to die. But I realise God has done something for me in Jesus Christ. And I realise I can come to him. And I realise that he invites me to come to him. And I realise that he's done all that is necessary. And faith is to take that. And I realise that this isn't just something I'm doing in my head. I'm believing in my heart. I am bowing the knee to him. I am following him. And you know what? The moment I believe in him is a happy day. But it doesn't end there. It begins there. Because now I walk with him and talk with him along life's narrow way. I'm walking the valley of this world and it might be difficult. I might have to go, yes, to the house of feasting, but also to the house of mourning. But I'm not alone anymore. He's with me. That's what makes the difference. And when I'll have to walk that lonesome valley, that valley of the shadow of death, he's going to be with me especially then. Do you know when the queen... Did her first Christmas message that was broadcast on live television. I think I've got this right. It was on The Crown last night. (laughs) She quoted one of her favourite books in her first Christmas message that was broadcast. And these are the words that she quoted i think they were also the queen mother's favorites after this i'm going to read what the queen read so it's in old english after this it was noised abroad that mr valiant for truth was taken with summons by the same post when he understood it he called for his friends and told them of it then said he i am going to my father's and though with great difficulty I am God hither, yet now I do not repent me of all the trouble I have been to arrive where I am. My sword I give to him that shall succeed me in my pilgrimage and my courage and skill to him that can get it. My marks and scars I carry with me to be a witness for me that I have fought his battles who now will be my rewarder when the day that he must go hence was come. Many accompanied him to the riverside, into which, as he went, he said, Death, where is thy sting? And as he went down deeper, he said, Grave, where is thy victory? So he passed over, and all the trumpets sounded for him on the other side. Believing in Jesus Christ can give you the same hope. You will be able to say, because all of us are scared of dying, aren't we? Let's be honest. But when I tread the verge of Jordan, the river of death, bid my anxious fears subside, death of death, Jesus, and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises I will ever to thee, if you know how to die, you will know how to live. Better, not more enjoyable, but better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of everyone, and the wise will lay it to heart for his namesake let's now sing that hymn i've already quoted the last verse of guide me o thou great jehovah pilgrim through this barren land i am weak but thou art mighty hold me with thy powerful hand bread of heaven feed me now and evermore o death where is thy sting o grave where is thy victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord for as much as he know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen.